you have your Bibles, John chapter 4. John chapter 4. As you can see, it's going to be a little different this morning, but we're going to start off in John, and I'm going to bring some uh, friends up to talk about what we're going to talk about this morning. So John chapter 4, and we're in a four-week series that we started last week, and we're looking in the Gospels and talking about that idea of believing. What does it mean to trust in Jesus and approaching it from the angle of what gets in the way? That's where the challenge often lies is I struggle to trust God, I struggle to trust Jesus because these certain things get in the way or we understand them incorrectly. Last week we talked about doubt and often we think we have to get rid of all doubt before we can trust and what we said is doubt is often an invitation to trust. God is big enough for any question you have so walk through that, bring it to God, process it in the context of community. Next week we're going to talk about the idea of sin and shame. We're going to look at the story of the prodigal son and talk about the fact that often what we have behind the curtain, that thing we're afraid to talk about, is what gets in the way of us actually trusting God. And then the last week, um, we're going to talk about the rich young ruler and look at the story that, that really, I think, maybe will pierce our hearts more so than any of these weeks. But what gets in the way of really believing the God of the Bible is stuff and things. All the stuff around us. So we're going to talk about those things. Hopefully it'll be encouraging and challenging at the same time. But this week is going to be focused more on, if you're here and you're a believer, this is sort of more for you this morning. Because I think we say we believe, but if we really believe in the way that Scripture tells us, because Scripture says that we are supposed to be sent just as God sent Jesus. That's what Jesus said to his disciples. It also says that we are being formed into the image of Jesus in the epistles, in the epistle of Paul. And so if those are true, then we should be living lives that imitate the life that Jesus lived, right? That's what it means to be a Christian, little Christ. We're called to imitate who Jesus was. And one of the things that's normal throughout the whole, all of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, is that again and again and again and again, Jesus invites people into a relationship with him. However you want to say it, to follow him, to believe in him, to trust in him, to have faith in him, Jesus does that again and again and again. And there's a story in John chapter 4 about this Samaritan woman that Jesus meets at this well. And the story goes against all religious sort of culture that Jesus would have been brought up in. That he sits down at this well in Samaria. These are the hated people near the Jews. These are not liked, not respected. They are sort of half-breeds. So Jesus sits down with a Samaritan woman. Both of those are against how things should operate. And he engages this conversation with her about what it means to have a relationship with the true and living God. And he talks about things that are there. He uses the image metaphor of water because they're sitting at a well and, and what it could mean to never thirst again. And at the end of the day, she, he points her towards a relationship with himself. To have a relationship with God is to believe in Jesus Christ. And we know that story. We love that story. It's one of the most beautiful stories in the gospel. We often forget to keep reading at verse 27. And here's what it says in verse 27. So he's had this interaction. She has, at whatever level she's believed, she has believed in this God. So just then, his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. We just talked about all the cultural norms. This one against all religious piety of the day. But no one asked, what do you want, or why are you talking to her? Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, listen to what she says. It's not a sales pitch, it's not five points. She simply tells her story to the extent that she knew it at that time. 
Come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Christ? And then she keeps, then that keeps going in verse 30. They came out of the town and made their way towards him. Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have, no, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Then his disciples said to each other, could someone have brought him food? My food, Jesus said, is to do the will of the one who sent me and to finish his work. You're going to get some sort of cryptic language in these next few verses around the harvest. And what it's doing, it's tying this narrative back to the Old Testament. That what Jesus is doing, what he's fulfilling, really is the culmination of God's story. It's not a new story. It's the culmination of God's story. So do you not say, verse 35, four months more and then the harvest. I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. The fields they're looking at are the fields right there in Samaria. That this story is now going beyond the borders of Israel. God is now inviting everyone into a relationship with him. And these disciples are now invited to be a part of telling that story. Even now the reaper draws his wages Uh, Even now he harvests the crop for eternal life so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. Thus the saying, one man sows and the other reaps is true. I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done this. That's it's tying it back to the Old Testament, the story before. Others have done the hard work and you have reaped the benefits of their labor. Verse 39, many of the Samaritans from the town believed, trusted. It's all it simply is trusted in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them. He stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves and we know that this man really is the Savior of the world. Here's the reality in a very practical way. Talking about sharing our faith, talking about that word evangelism, if you've grown up in the church, is frightening. It's scary. I think we all get the sense that we're supposed to do it, but it's scary to think about sharing my faith with the people around me. So instead of me talking for the next 20 minutes about how to do that, we have people in our community who do it really well and actually are part of organizations that do it really well. So I'm going to ask three friends to come up, and uh, these guys are part of our church and also run campus ministries that share their faith in absolutely beautiful and profound ways. And so we're going to talk about on a super practical level, what does that look like to share our faith? Uh, a couple years ago, I heard a message by a pastor named David Platt, and he was talking about evangelism, and he, he said this, that it really hit me. He said, to not share the gospel with your friends and family and the people around you is to actually not love them. Let me say it again. To not share the gospel, to not share Jesus with your friends and your family is actually not to love them. Because here's the deal. If the story of Jesus is actually true, the story of God coming in human form, living and dying and rising again, if all the implications of that are true, which by the way, all we do at Crossview, we spend our life trying to understand and follow that story, right? So if that's true, to not share it, is to not love our friends and family well. So that's why we've asked these guys to come up and talk super practical about what does that look like. So first of all, go ahead and introduce yourselves, and then uh, we'll jump into it. Good morning. My name is Steve Beatty. I'm on staff with InterVarsity Christian Fellowship in southern Minnesota and here at MSU. I'm Tim Chamberlain with The Navigators, uh, also at MSU. 
I'm Paul Skolton. I work with CREW, the U.S. Campus Ministry of Campus Crusade for Christ, both here in the region throughout the U.S. Campus Ministry. Cool. These are all great organizations, and you've seen these faces around Crossview because these guys go here too, so they care about us as well, so this will be a fun conversation. So the, um, I think this, the starting place where we need to start is the, the things that get in the way, the barriers that get in the way. So what, what are some of the things that you guys see that get in the way of all of us average Joes, which we all are, Joes and Sally's, sorry about that, um, sharing our faith. What are some of the barriers? Yeah, I think on a, a sneaky level, what you mentioned, Brad, from uh, Pastor David Platt, I struggle often with a compassion issue. And so I see that uh, sneaking up in my life that I maybe just do not care about the world around me uh, that often. You know, it's tough to put my interests aside. It's tough to put my kingdom, little K, um, aside and say, all right, what does it look like to embrace Jesus' kingdom? And, uh, you know, if you think about even the most popular probably passage in all of Scripture, John 3.16, that God so loved the world. If I were to adapt that and edit it a little bit, I'd say, but Steve often doesn't. You know, mm -hmm. God loves the world. Steve often doesn't. And, uh, and that really gets in the way. You know, I find that tripping me up quite a bit, and it sneaks up, and it can really be an issue. And uh, just that idea of, you know, Jesus commanding us to love our neighbor and to love even our enemy and pray for those that persecute us, that's a challenging thing. I mean, I, I don't do that well. You know, I struggle sometimes just to love my friends, you know, mm -hmm. let alone my, my enemies <laughs> and my neighbors. So that's, isn't, isn't there a beautiful honesty in that, too, of just gathering in this room? We're all supposed to have it all together and look good on Sunday just saying, I don't share my faith at times because I don't like people. Now, I translated that a little yeah. different. But. <laughs> or, or my family, my I, kids. I I'm know. a high-eye introvert, so that's sort of me sometimes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. When thinking about that question, a lot of things came to mind, uh, but two in particular. I think of Romans 12, the picture of, of being a living sacrifice. And even, any living sacrifice, uh, any good living sacrifice, wants to constantly get off the altar because it's painful. And I think probably there's nothing more of... of um, of dying to self and sharing my faith. And it becomes a barrier because I'm, I like to protect myself, my reputation, how people think of me. And that can, that can become a really big barrier uh, for me. And so, but it's really healthy for me to do it because um, dying to self is, is really healthy for us. And I think another thing, I th just think of my schedule, I think of how busy I can pack my life full of certainly ministry. Ministry can get in the way sometimes of sharing your faith, ironically. Um, but it could be all kinds of activities. It could be things that are centered around me. You know, I think of, uh, uh, I remember getting married and really realizing how selfish I was. And I remember having, us having kids and how really selfish I am about my time. And I think even to extend it to, uh, uh, um, to my neighborhood, I, I can really be a selfish person. But it's this constant dying to self is so good for me. And I need to open up my schedule uh, for opportunities for relationship, to, to be with people, certainly people who, who may not uh, know Christ yet. That's good. Yeah. I think for me, one big barrier is just the fear of rejection. I think that's the, probably the, one of the number one fears uh, alongside countless other ones. But, you know, you see that with Peter. He denied Christ three times. It was out of fear of being rejected from the community. Yet God used him to be one of the greatest evangelists of all time. So you see that not every evangelist, not every person who goes and is used by God um, has no fear in their life. Uh, I think one thing that I had really wrestled with when we, when we first came to Mankato and even when we were at Whitewater in Wisconsin before this was, you know, I, I want students to like me. I, I want them to say nice things about me. You know, I, I think sometimes it's a dangerous, like you, you, uh, you know, you live for that, that compliment. And, but my dad 
he challenged me in that, and he said, uh, are you trying to be better than Jesus? I was like, what do you mean? And he said, you know, Jesus said that no servant is greater than his master. If they rejected Jesus, and Jesus was the best evangelist, he loved people the best that any of us could love people, you know, people are going to reject you as well. And if they're not rejecting you, then am I really sharing the gospel? On the other side, there is definitely, you know, people that go out there and, and preach the wrong way, and they're shoveling it in people's faces. And if they get rejected, sometimes they say, well, you know, I'm blessed because I got rejected. Well, no, you just did it the wrong way. You know, you're being mean or whatever. Um, I think a, another big barrier is that we feel like we're not equipped. You know, it's like, oh, if I just knew how to, you know, ask some questions or if I just went to this class. But the thing I love about that story with the woman at the well, she went to no training program. She didn't go to a summer-long training program. She didn't go to, a, you know, a, a one-hour class at church for a, for a, a couple months. She just, she was impacted by Jesus, and she told her story. Simple as that, and people yeah. came to Christ. That's, uh, I mean, at the end of the day, if there's one thing we want, want you to get this morning is, is, is that, that you don't need a 16-week seminar to talk about your relationship with God. And um, hopefully we're going to give you some practical ways to even think about that um, more. But the next, next one is this, because this is, um, it's not just that they work for campus ministry, so they have to talk about God. Um, these are guys who love Jesus, and so they, they want that to be part of their discipleship. So right now, where you are in your journey of following Jesus, what are some of the things that, that you're, you're learning and understanding about evangelism these days? Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I think, I think when I look at uh, the area of sharing my faith on, on campus or wherever it is, it's usually... It, it goes much better, it's much more enjoyable if I'm enjoying my walk with God. I just feel like there's a barometer there that if I'm enjoying Jesus, it's way easier to, to talk to people about him. And so there's certainly times where out of obedience I'll share my faith, um, and that's okay. But I think God really wants to work in our life in such a way and through our life in such a way that it's just a result of loving and enjoying Jesus. And, and otherwise, there's no way certainly in ministry, that you'd last very long. Um, but, and, but that's for all of us that if we are not enjoying Jesus, why would we possibly want to talk to someone else mm-hmm. about him? It, it, you could, but it just wouldn't be very fun. And then I think this, another thing is, I think of my belief system, you know, the, uh, verse 35 in there that uh, when Brad read that, the, you know, when he says, look at the harvest, it's ready. Do I really believe that? Do I really believe that on, on a campus like MSU or in a a city like uh, Mankato, um, throughout the U.S. and around the world, there are people really white for the harvest. It was true back then. Do I really believe it now? So my belief system is constantly challenged, and I believe that people are ready to hear the gospel and to respond if we give them an opportunity. But I think part of it is my belief system. Will I continually trust God in His promises in the Scriptures? That's good. Yeah, I think on top of that, uh, <clears throat> there's probably things that we can look at and say, you know, I think often these are maybe indicators that lead mm-hmm. folks to faith. Um, when it comes down to it, I think we can say that faith is just, uh, it's organic, you know, and we can't always just put our thumb on it and uh, say, this is how someone's going to come to faith. This is how somebody else might do it. You know, there's, I mean, it would be incredibly interesting just to see how many people in this room, all of our stories, how we came to faith mm-hmm. and how that worked out. Um, you know, and within my context and my movement, there's five things that we've kind of looked at recently and just seen, you know, these are thresholds that people kind of cross and, uh, as they come to faith. And the first one is just very simply, uh, they learn to trust a Christian, you know, 
And uh, as my wife and I were talking the other day, uh, we have some new neighbors, and one of these neighbors shared with us over a bonfire that when we, they first moved in, we brought some cookies over, and my wife and kids made some little notes, and, and uh, our neighbor was saying afterwards, you know, she closed the door, and she was almost moved to tears because she said, these are the nicest neighbors ever. And here it was the first week or something that we, we knew her, and you just kind of you stop and you think, man, we must live in a pretty easy world to be able to build trust with folks these days. <laughs> All you got to do is go across the yard line, you know? So very simply on the first, uh, the first threshold that we've identified is, you know, learn to trust a Christian. Uh, the second one is that folks are, um, they're really starting to become curious. Mm-hmm. You know, they're starting to become curious about maybe who these neighbors are or who Jesus is or, you know, what God is doing in their life, and they want to know more about that. The third one might be the most difficult, and that's one that uh, we say, you know, becoming opening to change, mm-hmm. you know, that I want to see change in my life. That's, you know, and even if we identify within ourselves, I think that's something that's difficult for us to say, yeah, I'm pretty open to change, you know. I mean, that can be a hard thing. Uh, the fourth one is just simply that they start to seek after God. You know, they want to know God more. They want to um, know him more. And then fifth, just that they enter the kingdom, yeah. you know. And those five thresholds are something that have helped us Quite a bit, just to see that faith is very often it's a process. You know, sometimes it's it's pretty immediate, and folks come to uh, come to faith, and then other times it's a process, and it takes yeah. a while. Yeah. That's a great, great point there. Yeah, yeah. I think the thing that uh, I'm just I'm learning constantly, learning a lot about God's heart for the nations, and what does evangelism look like. Uh, it's not, you know, a, a one-step process or a you know series of questions or a process that you walk every everybody through. Everybody's on a journey. I think we talked about this at lunch, you know, that maybe you're taking them from a, you know, a negative 10 to a negative 8. And, you know, zero is when they come to Christ and, you know, obviously they, they continue growing. But, or maybe you get the joy of taking them from that negative 1 to zero or the zero to the 1. And it, it's, a, it's not like a boom, like here, you know, you got to do the whole shift, you know. I think I heard that, uh, you know, it takes like seven Christians to impact the non-Christian before they finally come to Christ. So you might be the first one, you might be the seventh one, but it's definitely a process. I think a big thing too is, is just seeing it as a, a daily life thing. It's not just a one hour a week. Um, and, and that people see the hope that is in us. I think 1 Peter 3.15 where it says, uh, be ready to share the gospel. Give a reason for the hope that is in you. You know, do people see me talking about Christ? Do they see something different about me or do I look like the rest of the world? I think I definitely, you know, we talked about this last, uh, or at lunch as well, but we can, you know, we got our gadgets out and we can talk about these latest apps and smartphone and, oh, the new iPhone 6S is coming out, you know, the tablets and all this stuff. But then when it comes to Jesus, we kind of, we kind of just get monotone and be like, yeah, what do you think about God? You know, like all that. It's just like there's lack of passion. But if he's really done something in our life, we should talk about it. We should be excited about it, like the woman at the well. And I think that's uh, a, a big thing this last year God's just been doing in my life is helping me see, like, how great of a sinner I am. I, you know, yes, we're, our identity is saints, but I still sin. I grew up thinking that I wasn't that bad, you know, and so Jesus was pretty small. And... Uh, but the more I grew in my faith, I realized, you know what? I blow it every day. 
You get married, you realize how sinful you are, selfish. You have kids, you realize, man, I am really messed up. You know, <laughs> I am thankful that I have Jesus. Good sales to get married and have yeah. kids, right? <laughs> so, yeah, if you want to be humbled, there's a great training program. Get, get married and have kids. Um, but it just, I think I just see, like, man, I am broken. I need Jesus. And so Jesus becomes so much bigger mm. in my life. And so I can help my neighbors. I can help other people who are wrestling Point them to Jesus. Very cool. So we want to do this. This last point will take about 10 minutes or so, but it's really important. Is uh, We understand that if we took all the different people that we're trying to point towards Jesus, um, they're all in different places on the journey. Uh, different questions, whatever it might be. So to say, here, here's how you share Jesus. One size fits all to me just has never worked. Um, the beauty is we have a ton of different tools out there today. So I would encourage you to take a piece of paper, grab your little... Uh, um, PDA, is it, it's not called a PDA device anymore. Mobile device. I'm new, I'm new to this whole internet, Google thing. So um, grab something technology-wise. and Because uh, some of these are apps you can download right now. Just jump on the wireless internet and download. But we want to give you a number of different tools that you can use. Uh, because it is a cool time to, to be talking about who Jesus is and sharing that with our friends. So this is going to feel like a fire hose, ton of ideas that these guys are sharing with. But uh, it's, it's really cool. So... Well, I'm going to kick it off quick and uh, give, you the, give you the dump truck. So here's five questions. should be up on the screen. We do this every Wednesday, and we can encourage our students to do this through their daily life. But a lot of times, it's just a matter of having a tool or some questions to go through. Uh, so we usually kick it off. We go up to someone and say, hey, can I ask you some questions? We're doing this survey on campus. Maybe it's at work. It's like, you know, I, I heard these questions at church. I'm wondering, what do you think about these? You know, it's not stuff that we talk about a lot. Um, so, yeah, what is the per main, uh, the meaning or purpose of life? What do you think happens when you die? In your opinion, who is the man Jesus Christ? I love the fourth one. I think a lot of people like that one. It kind of just breaks the ice. Um, you know, what is your biggest objection or problem with Christianity? What annoys you about Christians? It's sort of <laughs> allowing your friend to unload why they don't like you. Yeah. <laughs> and it, it shows them that you're not there to preach at them. I love the, the asking the yeah. questions because it's them sharing. Yeah. You can kind of put together an idea of like where are they at, what, what's the next step for them. Uh, another thing, uh, well then this leads into sharing the bridge illustration which is up there. So we asked them at the end, can we share with you something that sums up the main theme of the Bible? This is from Romans 6.23. You can find it on the, the Navigator website, uh, Tools Evangelism. It's called the One Verse Bridge. Another resource is a book uh, called One Thing You Can't Do in Heaven. And if you think about it, we just talking with the students, the one thing you can't do in heaven is share the gospel. Think about that. Let that sink in. When you get to heaven, you can never impact another soul for the kingdom. And so I think seeing while we're alive, we have a, a unique opportunity. So let's do that. That's another book. So One Thing You Can't Do in Heaven by Mark Cahill. The last thing is uh, there's five different uh, websites here. View the story, I am second, the God test, Matthias Media, that's uh, two ways to live, and then Christianity Explored. There's great videos on here. You could post this to Facebook, Twitter, uh, send it to a friend. Hey, what do you think about this? Uh, and then meet up for coffee, talk about it. Yeah, th these are those, and we'll, we'll find a place to post a lot of this week, but 
Um, like the Matthias Media is, is this really cool little app that you can share the gospel with. And it's one of those things where if you're in a friendship and somebody's at that point where they would be, you know, you maybe had the conversation around the fire in the neighborhood, you're talking about God or church, and the next day you just send a little link to say, hey, this, is, this sort of sums up what we were talking about, what I, what I believe in, and you send them a little link to something. That, that to me, is one of the beautiful, you, you're, uh, you're going to talk a little bit about the opportunities of technology but these are fabulous. I Am Second has some really cool, um, famous people who've come to faith in Christ sharing their story. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and if you'd like to get your hands on something, a hard copy today, we've got some books available uh, called I Once Was Lost. It talks about those five thresholds that I mentioned more. Um, it's a couple of staff members from InterVarsity uh, that have kind of written their story of walking with a couple thousand friends that came to came to Jesus. And so it, we bought one box of these, so we, we want to see what it's like for people to come up and fight over something, like Black <laughs> Friday church perspective. <laughs> we want you to have these, so, so we bought these so you can take them. If you're interested in reading this, please, after the service, come up and take one. It's our gift to you. And if you're interested as well, and you know, Tim mentioned um, some of the apps, if you want another app to try out to check Get on your smartphone, go to iTunes or the Google or whatever, and uh, it's called The Big Story. Just Google that, and it uh, kind of walks through a, kind of a narrative of Scripture as a whole and talks about how you can get involved in that mission and uh, what it might do in your life. So that's a picture of it, but just Google or search The Big Story. And I said at the first service, this, this to me is one of the best sort of, oh, I, I wouldn't even know how you say it, sales pitch is so wrong, but it's one of the best ways to share the gospel because it's the whole story of Scripture. It starts with how we're created, then goes into that we're damaged by evil, we're restored through Jesus Christ, but it doesn't stop there either. That if you're restored by Jesus Christ, you then are sent, you're called, you're invited to go and help heal the world with the very God that you now trust. So it's a, this is a really cool, I do think there is a, a book that, w- that was put with this as yeah, well. Yeah, it's called True Story Yeah, as well. It's really great. Yeah, yeah a couple things come to mind. Um, area of tools. I think one is just, I think it's important for us to know our, our story. Um, everybody has a story of, of how, they, what they were like before they came to Christ and, and how they came to Christ and how God's changed your life. And, and uh, you know, I, a lot of us probably don't think that we, we have a very big story. And if you don't, you just make one up. <laughs> just kidding. Just kidding. Bad <laughs> advice. Don't do that. But everybody has a story. And I think it's important for us to understand that. And because in the midst of, you know, I think we call a lot of times our testimony. I'd like to kind of use just, you know, my life story or my story of how God's worked it, in me is that people love to hear about how your life has changed. I think it's good for us to know how to communicate how God's worked in our lives, certainly how we came to Christ. And through that, we can lead someone to Christ. Which is the heart of the Samaritan woman story, right? Like, Absolutely. She didn't have it all figured out, but she said, he knew everything I did. And I think he's the Messiah. Come check it out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I just think about how, you know, the gospel has power. It can stand alone all by itself. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, there's nothing more powerful, it seems, than a changed life of how, of how someone, uh, how God got a hold of their life. Um, second thing I think of is, yeah, in the area of technology, um, I work quite a bit in the area of how do we, how do we get a hold of this new uh, social media that's changed our culture so much in the, last eight, in the last eight years, you know, predominantly in the area of mobile devices, and has created an uh, unprecedented opportunity to communicate the gospel. And we've kind of shared those websites from, from apps. History was made a month ago 
for the first time in, in history, um, certainly in, in Facebook history, one out of seven people in one day were on Facebook. Um, that's just a, a little bit of a feel of, of, of how social media is changing our culture. And there's a lot of other types of tools, Instagram, uh, Snapchat, different things that are, that are these trending things. But think about that. One out of seven people in the world were online engaging in some kind of conversation. Um, I teach a lot about how we can use uh, things like Facebook, different technologies to engage with people, hopefully with the end being that you're connecting face-to-face. I think Facebook is a, it's, it's just the easiest uh, metaphor, I think, to communicate how it can really change our lives to share the gospel. Uh, Facebook, um, I, I think Mark Zuckerberg, he probably doesn't know it, but he really tapped into something about the heart of God, I think, and that is that people want to connect with one another. And Facebook is set up in such a way, the brilliant minds have put it together, that the more you interact with people on Facebook, whether it's like or sharing, whatever you're doing, sharing pictures of your grandkids, your girlfriend, whatever it might be, and people comment, the more that uh, your stuff will come up on their feed and their stuff will come, you know, vice versa. But interaction is absolutely essential on things like Facebook because you don't want to hear 500 updates. You hear people's updates on who you're interacting with. I talk about a lot about, in some seminars I teach about, how we need to grow bigger ears, and that is essentially, I need to be involved in people's lives. I think there's never been a greater tool than social media to teach, at least in campus ministry, how to get involved in someone's life. Because we're a very private culture, very, uh, certainly in the U.S. And the things that we can learn from things like on Facebook just, I think, transition into our regular everyday life. For a student, if we can teach things like this, anybody for that matter, th- uh, that, you know what, they're probably going to end up going down to their, their buddy's room five doors down and connect with him. And guess what's going to happen a couple days later? They're going to come back. The more that I connect with people in real life and, and find out what's going on in their life, the more they're going to interact with me. But social media is really a fascinating new tool that's, that's allowing us a lot of opportunities to connect with people. A couple tools that come to mind uh, is uh, one that's called Voke. It's just a, a V-O-K-E. It's just been released. It's in beta version, only for people with Android phones um, for now. And in the next couple of months, it'll be for people, the other people. With know, better. The, with the better. cool people that yeah. have Apple. <laughs> um, Thank you. But what it does is I think what's essential with social media is that it's, most of it's not social. It's kind of what I would say is kind of narcissistic. It's really just sharing what I'm doing. Um, what, what a tool like Vogue does is it, it, it has like videos that were shown up there, like if, if it's I am second, where you can text it to people. And uh, in real time, you can see, uh, you can text a video to them. In, in this app, you can see when they opened it, when they paused it. But at the end, and hopefully it's just like a two-minute video, they can interact with you or you can say, hey, I saw you finished up with it. Uh, what did you think? And this is where our generation's at, certainly on the college campus, that they prefer a lot of times to communicate with each other on things like that. So Vogue is one thing. A couple others are the Jesus Film uh, app, which it was a film in 79 that came out. Eight billion people have seen it in the world. It's gone completely digital. It's on your phone on an app where you can have it in 1,400 languages. And it's a fascinating tool that if you're connecting with somebody and, and, and they don't maybe speak English or they, they, you know, if it's our international friends here in town, we can, we can let them have this app and they can watch it in their own native language. Cool. And there's about 15 to 16 other short films on there to help people grow. Um, so those are, those are two tools, I think, that are really helpful. The last one is what's called God Tools. If you go to godtoolsapp.com, 
It's just a lot of our tools within our, our own ministry of how to communicate the gospel, like knowing God personally. And what's fascinating about this is that um, we can see where this app's being downloaded. Um, and, and one of the greatest places in the world that's being downloaded is in, is in the Middle East, hmm. places that are completely closed, but the gospel's be- penetrating in a way that that's we've cool. never seen before. Because now, for the first time in history, people, lost people can find the gospel, if you will, because they can Google it and they can find things like the tools that have been shared here. Hmm. But I think Facebook, again, it, social media is a metaphor for how we can live our lives and how we need to interact with people. Very cool. Thank you guys very, very much. We want to close this with one invitation, and it's simple and I think sort of radical at the same time, is this week, once a day, pray for two friends who you know don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ and ask God to open a door for a spiritual conversation. Just that simple. No huge pressure. Pray for two friends and ask God to open a door. Father, um, thank you for this community. Uh, Thank you for what you have done for us that we could never do for ourselves and the fact that we then get to tell that story. And so, Lord, I pray that you would um, free us from fear and free us from the, the burdens we sort of put on ourselves about how to talk and share you with others. And, God, I pray that you would cause us to live freely, that we would freely and in ways that are full of joy share you with the people around us. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.